they're acting like babies there. And so just like stop acting like babies. Everybody, we're sorkin' it in. Watching the newsroom, please take just a minute. It's a podcast. Aaron Sorkin might choose about Will and Mackenzie making the news. You're sorkin' in it. As a wise man once sang, everybody, we're sorkin' in it. I'm Lex Friedman. And I'm Brian Warren. We are this season diving deep into the newsroom. If you're just joining us, what's wrong with you? You should have been there from the beginning. You can go back, <laughs> check out season one of the podcast where we talked about all the movies of Aaron Sorkin and then go back, I don't know, 13 episodes and listen to us go through the newsroom episode by episode. And then rejoin us here as we discuss season two, episode four of the newsroom, Unintended Consequences. You know, I think there are going to be some unintended consequences in this episode. <laughs> Sorkin does tip his hand sometime. Uh, before you even give us the the... Before you give us even the uh, the the synopsis of the episode, Brian, what's your how, how do you feel about this one? Oh, you want me just to jump straight into that? I, w- I just want to know before before you say anything else. I want to know what you think of this episode. Uh, I would put it in the lower half of episodes that we've seen so far. One of my favorite episodes. Oh my so gosh! Stick that in your pipe and smoke it. Let's go. Okay, good. Let's go. Unintended consequences does a bunch of hopping around between uh, some key stories, which I don't know. You could probably say that about most Aaron Sorkin shows. But we start with the lawyers interviewing Maggie about her trip to Uganda. Uh, We see and hear a lot about that trip. We also have the Occupy Wall Street thread going a little bit. One of their members is on air with Will. Uh, That doesn't go well. Um, But that also ends up connecting unintendedly, one might say, uh, to some threads about the Genoa tip. So uh, unfortunately, we have to keep going through that story too. Jim's in New Hampshire trying to do anything resembling reporting about the Romney campaign uh, and and some activities ensue there. But we wrap up with a big climax in Uganda. Um, And I guess we'll get to that. And we'll find out why why Maggie changed her hair. Yeah, I guess so. Um, And I didn't pick up on it at first. I needed them to spell it out for me at the end, which they did. Um, So we always go chronologically through these episodes, Brian. Sure. I really did like it. Okay, good. Uh, I've talked a lot about how I think they do the previously as well. In mm-hmm. this previously, I watched it a couple times. They censored an F bomb in the previously, they did. which I found weird. It was in the episode originally. They swear plenty of the show, but the previously is like, that's too much. We can't we can't have an F bomb in the previously. So I thought that was weird. The you referenced the Genoa plotline, which is obviously going to be a big deal and mm-hmm. continues to be a big deal in this episode. They continue the show is doing a lot of work to show that they all doubted that Charlie and Mackenzie don't believe this story they're very suspicious of it yeah they but even get, we know they're gonna run the story they even use some of the time in the previously on to talk about charlie and maggie yes. and max doubt and we know my thing is he can't have it both ways it's like you know my son this is a sorkin time my son liam and i are, are watching the west wing we're in the penultimate season and we have a game where before the start of each episode maybe we're in the final season now final season that's exciting um, before, before each episode we have a game where we predict who's going to say previously on the west wing which is one of a handful of cast members who mm-hmm. says it and i'm assuming rob lowe's not doing it these days not anymore uh but you got to pick and sometimes liam will go like or i'll go uh it's going to be josh or toby and nope that doesn't count because now you're saying both things then doesn't count as a win if you get it right mm-hmm. um and so Sorkin, for some reason, is trying to say, like, look, Charlie and Mac were really suspicious, but they're going to go for it. So, like, I get what he's trying to do there, but it does feel like he's trying to play both sides. Look, they ran and that was a mistake, but they were, and it's like, why are we doing it this way? It feels, that part feels a little ham-fisted to me. Yeah. I mean, we we know it's going to be a problem for them later, 
they're going to have to do all of their well, we we we've edited or we we were suspicious, but we went we, we still did the homework, you know, and we see them doing the homework of trying to get a second source, yeah. um, and trying to substantiate some of the most uh, outlandish claims. But um, yeah, I don't know, I don't know how this really helps serve the plot right now. But we open with uh, a Sorkin favorite. We open with a deposition. Yep, and it feels very Sorkiny to me. That was my biggest note here: is that this feels really Sorkiny, and. I think we find out immediately for the first time that this this is a wrongful termination suit. The reason the lawyers are here is a wrongful termination suit. And I don't at first they don't explicitly tell us who was terminated, but it seems like it's gotta be Jerry Dantana. And I think they eventually reveal that it is him hmm. subtly. Mm-hmm. But that's to me who they're they're saying. So we've got we got new hair Maggie. Um and then the lawyer, I forget the actress's name, famous actress. Who's the lawyer? Marsha Gay Harden. Marsha Gay Harden. She is she is a totally different lawyer in this episode to me from the first episode of the season. And she is she is a firecracker and she she's trying Maggie. to be funny. Her her lackeys are funny or or, or just laughing at her. That's kind of dumb. Yes, she calls Maggie a little onion. She's feisty. Right. And then uh, I Sorkin loves this. He loves to t- have people talk about how they're funny and then have mm-hmm. people laugh at things that aren't all that funny. Mm-mm. And here I, I could excuse it a little bit because maybe they work for her so they have to laugh. Yeah. Um it but feels she like they've like, done. That she's done that before, and that they're like, "Oh, this is where we laugh now." A hundred percent. But then she she says, "This is all a ruse." I'm trying to see if you laugh anymore. <laughs> I'm trying to see if you, Maggie, are haunted by darkness. I guess I don't know. Yeah, I was rolling my eyes here, and and maybe that's what got me set off on the wrong foot with this episode. Well, I I kept writing down how unprofessional and insane this lawyer was being, but if it was all intentional, then okay. And then Maggie gets in on it a little bit. Maggie, Maggie gets feisty too. I really enjoyed a beauty eight. Like as soon as Maggie <laughs> said it, I started looking it up. And then one second later, like that's not even a word. And it's like, God damn it. Why am I looking this up? <laughs> but I really enjoyed a beauty eight. So you didn't like this. Scene. Like, I don't like Marcia Gay Harden in it. I like her performance. I don't like her mm-hmm. character, but I, I wrote, this is a great effing opening scene. I censored it for, you know, the folks who run these things because it has tons of information. There's mm-hmm. like three conversations going on at once. It's rife with data. It's a little bit crazy. I think at one point Maggie says murderalized also, which I appreciated. <laughs> I wrote that it's one down too. It's a five-minute Maggie scene, and I I thought it was fun. I, like it's that thing. We talked about this a little bit last week. I don't know everything, but sometimes I know more than they do. Sometimes I know less. But like I thought it was a really nice way of confusing me while also giving me information and not letting me feel too behind. You know that – you might end up winning me over with this episode. So uh, I'm, I'm open, you know, and I think everybody should be open to changing their mind. Um, and so I, I think I recently told someone I work with that smart people are, are ready to change their mind with new data. And so maybe I'm just talking about how smart I am. So I'm fine with that. You belong on a Sorkin show. <laughs> but um, there are moments that I quite enjoyed and we're going to get to them. I do like how this started though and one of the things i liked about it is that um it's it's so tempting for there to be a lot of different um plot lines here and with maggie in uganda and this whole thing with occupy wall street and jim in new hampshire it's easy for them to get all separated from each other to where we're just telling three completely separate stories yeah and i love that we start with this the um with two of them connected when (laughs) Maggie says that Will myrtleizes someone from the OWS. And so, and so like, they're, they're connected. Even though Maggie's, like, in the car, I guess, watching this episode, um, going to the airport. It's just great that the those two dots started in roughly the same place. Yeah. 
It's, I, I agree. And like the Maggie thing is separate from the Genoa thing, but they are clearly very tied together too. So that's a great point. Um, they really are doing a great job of making Jerry an asshole. I think we swear on the show, right? <laughs> like he has a scene pretty early on uh, when they're prepping Shelly, the Occupy Wall Street woman. And I did, I did hate one thing. Uh, I hated, hated, like I booed aloud. Um, it was almost, I, I love winking. I love self-referential, I, self-referential. I love meta. But you have Sorkin going, what we really need is something magical and incredibly coincidental and Ugh. fortuitous timing to happen right now. Like yeah, something I'll do needs to just right drop now. in our lap. And we're like, oh my God, are you serious? Because we now we know what's going to happen. And then, and then uh, what's your name? Uh, 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 Shelly. Shelly, thank you. Shelly comes out and she's like, hey, I know a person who's involved with this Genoa thing. <laughs> like not knowing anything. <laughs> and I... It's it's an overused device on the newsroom to begin with. Like we've talked about a lot how the reporters get scoops because of coincidence, because yeah. they happen to know people who are connected. And now here it is just like random Occupy Wall Street lady knows somebody who knows something. Like it's stupid. And even winking at it doesn't lessen the stupidity. It's like Neil being related to someone who works at BP. Like, okay, sure. Like that's a little bit easier to defend. Uh, and then you get... Um, Emily Mortimer, uh, Mackenzie, yelling out in the newsroom, we're going to save the show. And then the power goes out. Like, that is so yeah. fantastical that, like, okay, you know, that's just almost, you know, Don falling off a chair, silly. This one feels like it's so much in service of the plot that um, it's, for, for whatever reason, the fact that it's kind of right there in the middle uh, makes it even harder to believe. Especially, like he already was dealing with season one criticism of the show like show the work that reporters do reporters Mm -hmm. do not rely on luck (laughs) and maybe he just thinks it's not like i don't know movies like all the president's men i think show that reporting can be cool in its own right and they're he's he's taking too many shortcuts on that front uh so shelly goes on the show will eviscerates her (laughs) murderizes her really murderizes thank you and then Neil's like, hey, by the way, I need your help with another thing to Shelly afterwards. And of course, she's like, no. And they're going back and forth. And he humiliated me, blah, blah, blah. And then Neil goes, he didn't do anything to you. You tanked, which felt surprisingly mean for Neil. Felt surprisingly mean for Neil when he wants something for her. And also, I blame Neil. Yeah. Neil should have prepped her. He should have said, this is exactly what's going to happen. And here's what you have to be ready to do. And here's some answers. Like, I don't think he's doing a disservice to Newsnight to prep a guest to be better prepared like make will work for it and then what does she do she slugs him in the stomach it's like the first act of personal violence we've seen truly in this show uh and i kind of laughed at it oh i did not like it i felt like it wasn't even the first time we saw physical violence on the show because i feel like i complained about it before i felt like i had a repeat note here but maybe i'm wrong well neil people don't just punch the monitor they're mad at right but i feel like people don't just punch stuff no and like they don't just punch humans like and that, that seemed wrong to me like she could be pissed and say like fuck you she could be pissed and storm away um a, even a slap across the face which i still would have disapproved of mm. would have felt more realistic to me than punching a random person like a person <laughs> in the stomach i hated it i was so mad i love this is part that you hated and i actually uh i actually kind of liked it but now we get back to uh to jim and hannah and stillman <laughs> Stillman Frank is a funny name. I enjoyed the bit. I enjoyed Jim saying, "Are you sure it's not the other way around?" Um, I, they, Stillman Frank gets all the good lines in these scenes. He does. He's um, really great. 
some of them one of them i can't remember which one says that was a predictable plot twist i think it's maybe it's hannah who says it when there's only one room left at the hotel <laughs> uh, and there's a great line because it totally was a predictable plot twist yes loved it it was a very and i, I again this is more of i felt like sorkin was punchy when he wrote this episode because he's got a lot of, a couple punchy almost fourth wall breaking moments mm-hmm. and then stillman after they hear about the cut he goes i call the cut <laughs> I think I call the cot is one of the funniest lines in the entire series to date. Uh, Jim does a joke of Vassar Versa. Um, and he's like, how long have you been playing that one? But what I liked about this episode, and I, I make this note later, but I'm, I'm going to advance it because I think it's already happening, is sometimes Sorkin relies on the situational comedy. But I think one of the reasons Friends was so good is because the characters were funny. It wasn't just that they were funny stuff like Chandler. Uh, was very funny. Ross was very funny. And those characters getting the opportunity to make jokes mm-hmm. was good for the show. And here, a lot of characters are making a lot of jokes. And I think that's what lends this episode's success for me, because it was funny. These three people, uh, Hallie, Jim, and Stillman, they have such great charisma together. Like, it, it's... Um... It's it's nice seeing them together. I, I I'm kind of bummed that it's not going to happen so much in the future. But uh, getting them all together, stuck in the same hotel room, did uh, offer some good opportunities there. Now let me ask you this question, Brian, and don't overthink it. How okay. many eyes are in Mississippi? Ooh, uh, three. M I. Oh, it's four. Dang. Uh, or how many E's are in my first name, Alexander? There's only one E in Elijah. That's a deep cut for people who have to know when this episode came out. Uh, there's two E's in Alexander. You live in in uh, Washington State. How many N's are in Washington? Yeah, there's two. But I get I get where you're going with this. I don't like, and it's a frequent organism. Mm-hmm. How do you spell the, the place they were in Africa? Naka Pirapirit, I think is mm-hmm. how you say it. I tried to write it down. And they said, how do you spell it? And Maggie goes two A's, four I's. And the lawyer's like, that's thanks. That helps. <laughs> Nobody would have that fact on instant nope. recall. Nobody. And it's mm-hmm. stupid. And it's like, to me, it's one of his shortcuts to showing how smart his characters are. And I hate it because that's not how people think about words. And I think about <laughs> words a lot. And I think about letters a lot. I have acronyms for everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. You give me letters, random letters, I'll give you an acronym that it could be. But nobody's like, how many N's or how many I's are in that computer? It's dumb. So I did not did not like that. And it made me mad. So I, I, I gave you that little brain teaser, not to prove that you couldn't do it, but to prove that it's totally ridiculous. I had to count the number of E's in my own name. It is ridiculous. Yeah. And these are all words that I'm, I, you and I are a lot more familiar with. I wouldn't have been able to pick out that. Uh, I don't even know if it's a fictional place in Africa. So that's just. A... I, I also didn't know. I didn't check. Uh, Spellcheck did not know it. Um, but I had exactly uh, two, two A's and four I's. So I don't know. <laughs> it is a real place. It's in the. Uh, it's no, located in the Nakapira Pirate District, ah, uh, which is place northeast, to put it. northeast of Mabali, the nearest large city. Um, sometimes there's mud. Sometimes there's a genocide. That was a Maggie line that I liked. Yeah, that was a good line. Because it can take two and a half to four and a half hours to get somewhere. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, How do you feel about the Gary Cooper riff? I'm so bored with that that joke. Yeah, obviously, Gary Cooper is too. But um, I, I don't know what gary cooper they're confusing him for like the actor from a million years ago yeah that one like that's a pop culture reference point for all the people he's interacting with i think more people in just let's say the u.s i think more people don't know who gary cooper is than do today (laughs) oh i'm sure and that was true a decade ago when the show was on Mm -hmm. and i i i did not think the gary cooper thing was funny but that's the end of things i didn't like in this episode everything else that's going to come i have things that i like 
uh sloan and mac have a scene together did you take any notes on that one is this the one that starts with the f- kind of the fake rundown that they're doing and charlie's face yeah. in the glass <laughs> yes and but S- sloan and mac have this this conversation where i, I wrote again Slo- sorkin is punchy uh the characters are being funny like sloan is just giving Mackenzie shit for no reason and it's funny <laughs> and i enjoyed it uh, I, oh, I think I didn't write anything about it because I was so caught up in it. So we, we have ongoing moments of Jim fighting with uh, the press team, mm-hmm. Constance Zimmer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, at some point, she says the official position of the Romney campaign is to go fuck yourself. And she immediately knows she's made a mistake. And Jim is excited to take advantage. And I don't buy for one second that he would do what he did. He got He gives... Her name is Hallie. I wrote Hannah over and over in my notes. He gives Hallie a 30-minute one-on-one with the candidate. Mm-hmm. I believe at worst, he would say, I need two 15-minute sessions with sure. the candidate. One for me, one for Hallie. I do not believe that he would simply hand it to a competitor, even if he has a crush on her. But he gets the McKenzie Skype call where he's going to get yelled at. And I like how that scene is structured. I like that mm-hmm. they're all in one room, that Sorkin's trapped them in, that they don't leave in time, so she overhears it, so she realizes what's happened. I thought they did a nice job of faking the Skype window, but I did notice one thing about that Skype scene on that Mac. Did you notice it? No. You're going to have to tell me. Unless I'm wrong, and I, I really zoomed in a lot, I took photos, I looked, <laughs> Skype isn't in the dock. <laughs> so it's a really nice Skype <laughs> screenshot or, or Skype window happening on screen, but I cannot find Skype in the dock i'm i'm texting the image to you to look um there were some apps i couldn't even quite recognize but uh i don't know what that green apple app is um oh that I see is they have weird. time machine running mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um they're using firefox uh but i i do not see skype in this dock so i thought that was funny i even think maybe they have xcode <laughs> <laughs> but yeah yeah, yeah folks uh listener we didn't we do not have skype in the dock maybe we can uh post this in uh as an image with the uh with the podcast so people can see for themselves but so how did you feel about jim's chivalrous act his allegedly chivalrous act of constant Zimmer said that the official campaign or the official perspective of the campaign was that he should go uh, fuck himself and he uses that to get hallie a 30 minutes with the governor i mean it's it's interesting the way that that scene goes where clearly the romney spokesperson knows that they really messed up um and it did beggar belief for me a little bit there you go Lex. nice everybody drink that that would be like the thing that really like changes everything for jim just because that was such an outlandish kind of thing to do like what's jim gonna do go like print that (laughs) or 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 have will say that on the on air like is that really gonna end up being the thing I don't know. Oh, that part did not beggar belief for me, that aspect of it. Because I think if she said that on the record, which she did, like he can now say to, you know, he can say to the audience, when asked for comment, uh, a Romney spokesperson told ACN the official position was that the ACN reporter should go engage in a, a impossible, a theoretically impossible <laughs> sex act. Like, and that's bad for them. It makes her look, it probably gets her fired, right? And it doesn't reflect well on Romney. It, it is possible. I just, I, I just don't see Jim and and Newsnight actually going and doing that. But it is possible, and, and they would not um, be stretching any sort of rules of journalism to do that. But that being said, I assumed when that happened that Jim would use it as a bargaining tool to like get back in with the campaign for all of them. You know, like all right, put us all back on the bus, or at least like treat us as if we were on the bus. You know, stop 
messing with us so that we can get our hotel rooms again. And like, cause they bought out the entire floor of the hotel just to spite Jim. Like that's, that's dumb and expensive. I don't, there's, there's, um, they're acting like babies there. And so just like, stop acting like babies would be like the, the thing that I would do. But of course, Jim's been asking for the 30 minutes of the candidate. So of course that's the thing that he would ask for. I, the fact that he ended up just handing that over to his crush feels kind of high school to me. It was so sweet, and I appreciate it from that side, but I just I just felt like he would at least get something for himself, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I guess you could argue this was for him in his own weird way. Now, we, we didn't we, we glossed over why he feels like this is something that Hallie needs, and it's because right. earlier in the show, in the episode, Hallie's boss yells at her. Uh, she's par- Again, I do like the way that Sorkin paints the characters in the corners to reveal things. So she's paired her phone to the rental car because she got there first. And so the call happens over Bluetooth. I have been in this situation. I've had embarrassing things said over a Bluetooth call with colleagues in the car. Um, so I, I immediately felt like a physical, like, oh, God, I know where this is going to go. And he's, like, sexually harassing her, basically, in my like, he's yeah. like Oh, yeah. I forget exactly how he said He said something very crass. It was like, you know, you got yourself thrown off the bus and you missed this story because you didn't get the thing ahead of time. And, you know, either you're going to – basically, he says, either you're going to have sex with me or – you're going to start reporting on these things better because I'm paying you. Because and he's, He says, I'm giving you this money. And she says, no, <sighs> you're paying me. And I believe the boss's name is Evan. And I believe that, is it Jim who says I hate that name? Or is it, is it uh, <laughs> or Stillman? Stillman? Or maybe they both say it. Yeah, I always hate people named Evan. Uh, but I enjoyed the Jim and Hallie fight because I really empathized or related to both of them. Hallie's saying, like, I don't need your charity. Like, no, I didn't ask you to do this. Like, you write the story. And Jim's saying, like, I did a nice thing for you because you work for a jerk. And I don't feel bad. And even if I should feel bad, I don't like, I get that. I think she's within her rights to be mad at him because he could like, I'm curious. And this is an unknowable thing is, is, uh, Hallie still mad at Jim. If Jim says, Hey, Hallie, guess what I did? I had, I got this. And so I've arranged this for you because I don't need it. Like that's different. Like trying to hide it is the part that I think that he did that's wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. So I kind of like the whole thing. I did like that line from him. I, I even wrote it down. He said everything about it felt right, and if that's still insulting, I don't care. Like, yeah, that's a good line. Yeah, but now uh, Mac is pulling Jim from the campaign trail. So if, as if, she should, if one... and, like the fact that Constance Zimmer ratted him out is that's hardcore. Mm-hmm. Taylor, her character Taylor, calls Maggie. Nope, calls Mackenzie and says, "Hey, just so you know, your reporter got an exclusive that he handed off to a competitor. Like that is just malicious." <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a little. Uh... Okay. One one last way for her to maintain a little bit of power in that conversation. It's interesting because, uh, and she Constance Zimmer's character tries to explain it. Like I know we're going to run into each other more, and like, but I didn't quite get her motivation other than maliciousness. Mm-hmm. Uh, but let's let's talk about Uganda. Okay. First of all, I thought Uganda looked quite a bit like Southern California. It my, did. Like, I felt like I was on the set of Mash or something. Like I even thought about that. I was like, "Where did they film this?" You know, I know that there's a, some hills in California that they just kind of assume are different areas of the world, and and we're all just supposed to go along with it. And I was okay with it, but it, sure. I, I thought they they did as little as possible <laughs> to <laughs> make it look like Africa. Um, there were a lot of things I liked in Africa, uh, in this in the Uganda scenes. Um, I liked their guide, their fixer person messing with him mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um like I, I i guess uh gary spends 100 miles on the back of the truck to sl- try to film drug lords and then the guy's like yeah you're an idiot like mm-hmm. i don't know why this is their guy <laughs> their, yeah their, their fixer seems horrible and like they should have picked a better freelancer what did he work on um, he, like worked on the amazing race or something yes he worked on the amazing race <laughs> um and then 
as soon as Maggie bonds with the kid Daniel, mm-hmm. I got nervous for Daniel. Yeah. I'm like, oh, Daniel, you, you like Maggie too much. Something's going to go wrong. Um, it did. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, we have the, the beats of him asking her to read the book to him again and again. I, I'm assuming that Sorkin doesn't have kids because that actually did not feel real to me. Like asking him to asking her to read the story to him two or three times. Sure. Mm-hmm. Eight or nine times did not feel real. Like what, what is happening at that point? And then we try to explain it as you referenced earlier. He's never seen your hair color before. He, he likes that a whole lot. And, and the, the teacher there who was a great character, the teacher had some good line about it's always trouble or something like that like <laughs> that, that blonde yep. hair means trouble or something uh which turned out to be prescient um the only thing i did, and, and then you have these these cattle raiders who are coming and don't realize they're going to shoot up an orphanage because mm-hmm. they speak different languages and it was a whole thing like all that worked for me the only thing that didn't work for me here was daniel being stuck under the bed it yeah. did not seem like he was stuck under the bed also he got under the bed he clearly can get out of the bed but sure. we have to have this dramatic moment of him freeing it i don't know like free, freeing the i don't know that felt weird to me i, I didn't mm-hmm. he didn't seem stuck i don't know if it wasn't directed well or shot well but how do you get stuck under a bed that you got under yeah well i think he was afraid i think he was put like like trying to get a cat out, of, out from underneath the bed like if a cat doesn't want to get out okay. you're either going under the bed or you're finding a way to get get that cat out and so it, i i think it was purely fear and not um like he was in a situation where he couldn't get out himself but okay, those beds aren't that big. Like you could, you could, you could reach down there and try to grab him or something. Like, right. Even if he scrapes his back, like get the kid out yeah. so he doesn't get shot. Uh, spoiler alert. Yeah, <laughs> he does. Uh, he also has an incredibly strong spine because his spine managed to stop the bullet while he mm-hmm. was on Maggie's back and didn't go through him into Maggie. So lucky Maggie, I guess. It causes nothing but trouble. That's what the guy said about blonde hair. Um, and so she, we now understand she rebelled against her pretty blonde hair because Daniel liked it and blonde hair causes nothing but trouble. Like Daniel's, I, I don't think it's in any way her fault that the kid, if it's anybody's fault, it's uh, it's Gary's fault. If Gary hadn't tripped and fallen with his camera, then Maggie doesn't stop. Well, you know so, whose fault it is? It's the amazing race fixer guy who said like, yeah, stand up there with your fancy camera for a uh, hundred miles. And um, that's a great point. Showing off that camera to everybody in the hillside. Uh, so yeah, I blame nameless, uh, fixer. You're right. It is amazing race guy. And because what they, it turns out what they wanted was the camera. Mm -hmm. It wasn't, it wasn't cattle raiders. It was camera raiders. Um, I didn't finish my very final note on the episode that I took here. The episode ends with a, a big fuck, but I can't remember who says it. (laughs) It says ends with a big fuck from while you're looking for it. There's another thing that we need to kind of walk through, and this is the thing that I that I especially didn't like about this episode, was the chasing down of the Occupy Wall Street person who has the tip, who has the Genoa tip. But they spent a lot of time trying to chase this person down and a lot of time trying to apologize to Shelly. Right, because Shelly demands an apology before she's going to give it, and there's nobody to give her the apology. And so they just bring out, uh, first they bring out Sloan, thinking if they... If they can just get someone who's been on TV before to listen to Shelley's concerns and then apologize on behalf of the network, that goes poorly. And then they bring Don, and Don, as if Don's going to like be a, a more sympathetic character than Sloane. And of course, Don messes it up too. And, and in both cases, they're both doing the kind of will thing of being like, at some point, they start 
they, they start off trying to be nice to Shelly. And at some point they just get like super self-righteous and dismissive. And, oh, it turns out that doesn't really work with Shelly. So, and then eventually Shelly's teaching school. And of course this is happening over the course of the whole episode. And, um, Will shows up at the school and starts actually being nice to her and apologizing. Yeah, I guess he does apologize, uh, but actually just listening to her and, and relating to her like another human being would. And then I guess that uh, get, then Shelly offers to go ahead and take take it, the ACN people to the person. But he's like, oh, we already tracked them down. So this whole thing felt so forced and it's, it felt like just we need to move the Genoa plotline forward. And so we need to fill a whole episode with trying to do that. But it turns out it was just a unnecessary at best. I loved it Um, (laughs) because it felt real to me. We can't get will to apologize. Who's talent. Who's, you know, open to doing things. Let's send Sloan who has nothing to do with it. I also love that they all assume they can get an apology to work basically they feel they can work over this amateur hour person right they don't take her seriously they don't take her very seriously so like yeah we can we can do this sloan can do it or don can do it and then the person who gets it done is will and i liked will's apology he's like i used you to burnish my moderate credentials um i wasn't exactly sure how he meant that like is he trying to show that he's more conservative than people assume because they know he's a republican it didn't make him look more liberal to me um so I'm i'm not sure that i buy that it was going to achieve what he wanted to achieve. But either way, he's saying, I was using it for my own personal gain. Like, I, I was meaner to you than I had to be for my own personal benefit. And I thought admitting that and being open with her was cool. Um, and the fact that he was there to apologize when there was no reason to. Because, and this is where I did like the show, they got him. They found the guy on their own yeah. because they're reporters. Because they knew where he was and they knew, I think, his name. So it didn't seem like a giant stretch of reporting prowess, but they got it done. Um, and so the fact that he's there and apologizing when they don't need to do so, it's just that his soul needs to do so. I liked it. It worked for me, Brian. Right. And I think that's the only version of the, uh, uh, the apology train that we were on that, uh, I did like, even though it, it felt very unnecessary and kind of sorkin I suppose, but just the, the, the idea that they thought all of the other, uh, fake apologies would work it does make it defies belief <laughs> and then there there was one good line in there where uh, where sloan was like kind of half apologizing and shelly said something like your apology is is lame and it's just a symbol of the other guy's refusal to apologize and it's like yes it is and it's dumb and why are we doing this like we're not actually doing any reporting we're just like cuz they thought it would work assuaging people's guilt I liked it because they thought it would work like to me it, it always read as them assuming that they could just get her to be a pushover uh, so I have some in-episode follow-up since you gave me the time to okay. do it. There, Marcia Gayhardt and the lawyer is interviewing Maggie. We're now seeing Maggie cut her hair off mm-hmm. and I guess dying it. And we're seeing the visual flashback to Maggie reading to the boy and hearing the guy say, like, it's blonde hair. It's always a problem. And Maggie says to Marcia Gayhardt post that extra flashback, I'm fine. And Marcia Gayhardt's response is, fuck. Because <laughs> you're and super not I think fine. we don't know why. Right. I think we don't, I think, yes, I think that is the the implication, but I think we don't know why she, maybe she wants Maggie to break on the stand. Maybe she wants Maggie to have been emotionally affected. Maybe she sees that Maggie's being super stoic and that's not good. But for some reason, Marsha Gay Harden doesn't like this. And I thought that was a fun way to end the episode. And now my, my new headcanon is the reason they didn't include the F word in the previously was because they didn't want to start and end the episode. With. <laughs> but uh, I, don't, I, I thought that was, 
I would like to see more TV shows end with one character uttering profanity, and that's the end of sure. That was fun for me. But I really did like this episode. I had nits to pick, but I thought it was good. The the thing that I don't really have fully connected in my brain, and maybe you can connect this for me, is my lack of empathy for other people. No, it's that so much is riding on Maggie having a really good performance on the stand, right? And I don't understand why that has to do with Jerry Dantana's termination. And, and I think we'll, we'll have to spell it out. Because right. if they don't spell it out, then it makes no sense. And it's, I, I don't know, it's, it's kind of nice having a little bit of mystery here. <laughs> um, but that's what makes me think that, like, I don't think Maggie's performance in front of Marcia Gay Harden was very good. Uh, and she clearly kind of is messed up. And there was the whole thing about her not taking the pills that she's supposed to be taking to, like, uh, recover from this. And so the fact that she's like, I'm fine, uh, makes me think she's she, she's not fine. And she's not going to be fine yeah. on the stand uh, unless she has a lot more training. So. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm sorry you didn't like it more. I really, I did think it was a fun one because I, I liked, like I said, I liked that the characters were funny and I liked the way the plotting was handled, trapping our characters in different situations and giving us enough information while still giving us some mystery. It was, it was good. I was like, Carlton Cuse, take some notes. One thing I liked about the end of this episode was Jim's back. We, we have this little coda right at the end. Jim's back in the, in the newsroom and he finds Maggie who's just sitting on the floor and he's like kind of checking on her. So like there's a little bit of like, a, okay, Jim's not on the road anymore. Uh, but he says something like, I, I read the HR report about you. And I'm like, Jim, why are you reading HR reports? That's like super not okay. Like I don't want anybody reading my HR report. It's a great call. I, mean, but I would love to read your HR report, but no, I understand. I'll get it and I'll send it to you. But that's the only way you're allowed to read it. You're not allowed to read it without people asking. Yeah, he, sh- he should not have that. And he should not be reading it. You are not wrong. And uh, so next week uh, is another bizarre episode title that I'm curious to learn more about. News Night with Will McAvoy yeah. or something, right? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I was reading some of the plot, but we'll save that for next time. So I have some angst about how that episode is going to go, but we'll see. I'll keep an open mind. Uh, obviously, you can always go and support The Incomparable by going to theincomparable.com slash members. That's where this podcast lives. You're listening to it right now. So if you want to support them, go do that. Check it out. You can pledge a couple dollars a month and you get all kinds of bonus content. Uh, and you can even choose to allocate some of your funds towards this very show. Uh, because watching Sorkin stuff is worth money. That's all I'm saying. We appreciate you, folks. We do appreciate you. And we, uh, I think that's it. I think there's nothing else to say. I think I covered everything. And Lex, there's one thing that... While people are doing that, uh, or after they've gone and, and given a little bit of scratch our way, um, is there anything people can do in the meantime? Uh, I, I think they should listen to the entire back catalog of Sorkin in it, if they haven't already. And if you have already, do it again, because they have to keep Sorkin in it. they got to keep Sorkin in it. I want to know, do, do the listeners turn it off before we get to this point, or are they yelling at their screen, or can they just not wait? Can they just yell at their screen, because that's how it works. Yelling at their devices, or they, can they just not wait? Are they just so excited? It's coming. We did it, Brian. Thanks, everybody. Yeah.